Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Diana Al-Hadid is an artist who creates sculptures, installations, and drawings using various media. She was born in Aleppo, Syria, and immigrated to Ohio when she was five. In 2003, she received a BA in Art History and a BFA in Sculpture from Kent State University in Ohio. In 2007, she received an MFA in Sculpture from the Virginia Commonwealth University. She also attended Skowhegan before setting up shop in her studio in East Williamsburg. Diana is represented in New York City by Marion Boski Gallery. Her work is included in the Whitney Museum of American Art, the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston, and the Weatherspoon Art Museum, amongst many others. Diana has had solo exhibitions at Marion Boski Gallery, the NYU AD Gallery in Abu Dhabi, OWOW Gallery in Los Angeles, the Columbus College of Art and Design, the Weatherspoon Art Museum, the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, the Nasher Sculpture Center, the Nevada Museum of Art, and the Hammer Museum, just to name a few. She's received the Joan Mitchell Foundation Painters and Sculptors Grant, a Lewis Comfort Tiffany Foundation Grant, a Paula Krasner Foundation Grant, and she's a United States Artist Rockefeller Fellow and a New York Foundation for the Arts Fellow in Sculpture. For Sound and Vision's one-year anniversary, I stopped by Diana's studio in Brooklyn, where I used to have a studio in the same building for years, to catch up and talk about art, music, and life. She's amazingly talented and a wonderful person as well. Here's our conversation. Did we already start? No, I mean, oh. when we, it never really starts. <laughs> Are you recording right now? Yeah, no. Okay. It, well, I record to get the levels and test all that stuff. So okay. Yeah. So all that was not, that gold was not wasted. No, this is like, <laughs> I'm actually going to stop here. Okay. <laughs> and release what we just talked about. <laughs> this is it. That and was you know what whole... I was thinking about whenever, because you know how it's sound and vision, so we talk about music sometimes too in the podcast, or I'll mm-hmm. talk to musicians or artists who also make music or play music. Yeah. I was thinking about your music, because when I used to come in all the time, <laughs> it, was, it was like a Tupac, Biggie, heavy playlist. Are you still... Less Tupac, more Biggie, but yeah. Yeah. But there was Tupac, wasn't there? Occasionally. Yeah. There's like a, there's like a little bit of Tupac. That, but that then NPR, too. too. So what are you... <clears throat> have you... Because you have people who work with you or for you, so... We'll say with. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I pay them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, well, alongside. It's diplomatic. Yeah. Alongside, they're right by my side. Yeah. So does that weigh into your music decisions? Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't do certain things. I mean, I just I, I tend to let them take the rein because. Um, you want them to be comfortable. I, of course, I want them to be comfortable, and they would be comfortable with whatever I put on too. I think, um, but also like it's n- new, fresh you know yeah. input when someone else puts stuff in yeah. and they tend to listen to the radio a lot or like podcasts we listen yeah. to a lot of comedy podcasts those are good yeah that was my gateway into podcasts. yeah really comedy ones huh. like who like Mark Maron and you know Pete Holmes and Pete Nerdist. Holmes is the best yeah he's really good he's so good he's really good and yeah. the Nerdist like all those yeah. Yeah. I had all of them um, even Anna Ferris has one now that's really funny uh-huh. and um, yeah Lucy's an expert on that yeah they're yeah. entertaining yeah. And when I'm driving, I drive a lot, so yeah. it's 
I used to think just music will keep me awake at 6 a.m. on the road yeah. because I just blast the music. But after a while, you start to just yeah. zone out. Yeah. Podcasts, I feel like you're in the conversation, so you stay awake at the wheel, yeah. which is important. No, it definitely activates different parts of the brain, I'm sure. I don't know. I haven't listened to music the way I used to, though. It's been it's been more of a lull. We used to also listen to a lot of audiobooks, or I do, when um, it's just me, like, drawing or something. Um, I can't do that, audiobooks. You can't do audiobooks? No, I zone When out. you're working? Or in general. Oh, really? It's huh. bad. Oh, I, I can out. really do audiobooks. I'm really into them. I can't read. Huh. <laughs> you're illiterate? <laughs> oh, it's bad. I'm no, illiterate, I just too. Feel like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like if I have free time, I'm usually doing something visual. Yeah. And then when I'm doing something visual, the audiobook thing would work out, but I'm right. just not a huge audiobook guy. Right, right. And then when I read right before bed is a good time to read, yeah. like take a half hour or something. Yeah. I get through a paragraph and I'm out. Huh. I just fall asleep. I can't read before bed. It's better than night. I'm too tired. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I, mean, I, I wouldn't can't. get through it. I wouldn't get through a paragraph. Yeah, so now it's I have to really carve out the reading time, and I do, but it's it's more of like okay, now I'm gonna read. Whereas I think when I was younger in school and stuff, it was just reading all the time. I swear, I I was like, and I, um, I I agree. I was a ferocious reader when I was yeah. a teenager. When I was younger and like into my twenties, I I read all the time. I always had a book going. I still have a book going, but it's much slower. Yeah. And I think it's because I read on my phone a lot more and I read more nice. articles. Yeah. Yeah. I just read shorter things. I mean, I feel like I'm still reading. That's our society, not, right? It's, it's like, our society and I'm kind of sad about it. Now we're shorter, quicker bursts of things. Yeah. Yeah. Like the longer form stuff is more um, audio, audio books or yeah. you know, podcasts or something. But I know I am kind of sad about... Um, my shift into articles but I think it's also maybe it's part of living in New York and being an adult or something I don't know yeah like t- tapping in more into like what is happening in the world and I don't know yeah you're fractured like your brain is split up amongst a lot more things when you get older yeah and it's yeah yeah it's more it's more a sense of being involved like I think when I was younger I was politically active <clears throat> You know, in my teenager way, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know if I really under. I mean, I, I didn't understand who was who in the government. I didn't talk about. You know, I didn't keep up with any of that. It was yeah. just like free mumia and vegetarianism and right. you know, like whatever was going on. <laughs> it's the same things. No, I'm saying that in a flip way. I mean, I was. I was very. I was very committed. You know, it, it was. It was, um, no, it's like the punk ethos, you know? It's like, yeah, no, it, it totally shaped who, you know, I've become. But, um, you know, I guess I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I have a different kind of political mind now where mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just reading more, like, you know, online articles. Yeah. Whatever, like, I never, I would never, like, have read. Although, was there Slate back then? Like, was that? Um, I, I don't think so. Exists. It's I don't online. think so. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I was um, reading like New York Times in high school is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, information was less accessible. Now there's yeah. so much more information right. everywhere. Although I do, I did remember like yesterday, or like for, I don't know a few days ago that I like printed out the Oslo Agreement once. I was like, I'm gonna read this <laughs> in high school. Yes, nice. 
So you were acting. The whole thing. Yeah. I was like, I am reading this this whole thing. I want to get my head around what's going on. And That's amazing. Yeah, I, I don't. Do th- I didn't. No, I didn't make it through. I I I, I leafed through it. I got I got a couple paragraphs. There's some way over my head. Like yeah. my I wasn't like I wasn't mentally prepared. It's probably still over my head, but I, you know, I did a lot of overreaching intellectually when I was little. Yeah, but that's great. That's ambition. It's ambition, yeah. But I feel like well, that's why you slow down a little bit when you get older, because you have so much more in the mental Rolodex that you're bouncing things off of. Yeah. And you read, I feel like I read differently now. Like I've, I yeah. try to really take it in, whereas yeah. when you're younger, you just tear through it. Yeah. Like I read Infinite Jest, you know, that uh-huh. book, David Foster Wallace, uh-huh. it's like that. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And I, I can't remember much at all, you know? Yeah. But things I read now, I feel like I, I it sinks in more. Uh-huh. I feel like maybe it's the opposite for me. I think that I was a much slower reader when I was a teenager. I was trying so hard to crack the code of mm-hmm. whatever was being discussed. Like, it felt like, because <clears throat> I think it felt like um, just you know totally beyond my reach or something so I was I was just underlining everything three times and mm-hmm. making little asterisks and looking up all the different words and it slowed me down but it was like it was like I'm gonna get through this I'm gonna understand what this political language is and it was it was extremely frustrating because I just I think I just wasn't I didn't have the equipment yeah. mentally like I didn't have I don't know it, I don't know if it was like a vocabulary or what. I mean, I was trying to do some of this on my own. Don't you think it's experience too, though? It's a, it's totally experience. Yeah. It's all experience. So like now, I don't have to slow down as much. Like I know the words. I know the basic way that the you know the government's structured. Mm-hmm. Like but, you know, I have more knowledge to build off of, so I can I can breeze through faster. Yeah. But um, but when it comes to fiction, I slow down. Yeah. So maybe that's what. I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like though you were a better reader than I was. No, I, I don't. <laughs> like you, you. I don't were think really so. thoughtful about it. <laughs> I kind of flew through things. I think it was. I don't know. I I flew through like fiction, but when it was like nonfiction, I was. I think I was more. I don't know. I think I think I I took my time more. I think I had a kind of anxiety about what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I still have anxiety about what I don't know. Yeah. Everyone, I think everyone. Maybe I do more than I don't know. I just feel like there's there's so much I need to still know, right? You know, catch up on or whatever. Yeah, and you Bookmark get hungry. This and that. You get yeah. hungry as you get older. To like, I was wondered why my dad was like became a history buff later in life, and uh-huh. now I kind of understand it. Mm-hmm. Like when we were young, we would go on trips. Like our vacations would be to like colonial Williamsburg. That's or cool. like Civil War sites. Yeah, I'm totally. Yeah. I think that would cool. be totally be fun. Look at the no. pictures of my face during those vacations. <laughs> you look miserable. I'm just like what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just thinking about Bush Gardens or like Sea World or something. The yeah, places yeah, that yeah. I could right. be going to. That's sure. Fun. No, I know. I I agree. I mean, I I think that I definitely have. I don't. I mean, I always had an interest in history, but I think now I can kind of catalog it more easily mm-hmm. in my mind. Like I can understand. Yeah. It a little more. It's, I think I was more anxious then to like consume as much as I could because I wanted to be smarter than I was and be more mature or something like Like be yeah and just be taken seriously you know as a teenager you just want to be like look I I don't believe in this I believe in that and you're wrong about this mom and dad and you're wrong you know like whatever you're out to like conquer the world so I needed like my ammunition I needed backup information to like quote and whatever as you get older your memory changes so much right right and it becomes less reliable i heard yeah i'm sure because you're yeah 
because you, um, I actually, I, I think this was maybe on like a radio lab or something. I don't know. It sounds radio lab-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, where like the more you kind of access a memory, the less reliable it is because you're just kind of, <laughs> it's oh, no. the worst, right? Oh, no. It just like destroys. But it, I kind of, I kind of, in, I feel like I kind of intuitively understand that. Yeah. Like you start to kind of, the more you remember something, like the more you access it, it sort of makes sense. Like I, it's a frustrating, of course, but it sort of makes sense. Um, it's almost like you keep your you're looking back at your looking back of the memory. Right. You're looking back at the photo that you developed yeah, yeah. in your head exactly. about the memory. Versus when you have that first fresh memory of mm-hmm. something you haven't thought of ever in a long time, like ten years, it feels really genuine. Yeah. Right. It seems right. It seems right to me. It does, and the more you recant a story, yeah, the more you spackle it with like your memory of exactly. it. Exactly. Like you'll embellish parts or right. you'll exaggerate it. Right. I feel like the version twenty of a story about something that happened to you in high school becomes yeah totally different than probably than what happened. Right. It's so frustrating. It, you yeah. can't win. You just can't win. No. That's why you have to be <laughs> present. Because the present Forget is it. the yeah. only thing that uh, really is. I have is to start real. meditating. Right? <laughs> I really have to start meditating. Yeah, but if you meditate, don't you just forget? Like, right? No, you just can't win. Don't you forget that yeah. peacefulness? <laughs> it's like when you get the flu. Uh, every time it gets really sick. I got the flu for the first time in my life this year. Oh, you don't get the flu shot? It's fascinating. I think it's because I got the flu shot. No, you can't. It's dead. What? And the flu, like when you get a flu vaccine, it's dead. But, like, it can't give you the flu. You could get Well, no, I, I, I ended up getting the flu after, not directly after the flu shot. Oh, weird. But like... Oh, it just didn't take. Yeah. Because the strains are different sometimes. That sucks. Wait, but you were saying... Oh, just that that first day when you get over it, you're like, oh my God, I feel amazing. And then I'm going to cherish this feeling forever. Right. What's that? (laughs) You know, and then you just like lose it. And then a couple hours later, something shitty happens and you're like, oh. I'm going to eat a bag of potato chips and (laughs) forget going to the gym or whatever. Yeah. Like I went on that flu diet for a while. I feel good, you know. And then you have that one meal where you blow it. I do that all the time. Yeah. Or um, I remember that too. I remember thinking like, this feels like hell. And when I wake up from this, I'm going to get so much done. Yeah. And for like five hours, I did. And then it just slowed down back right. to like my normal routine. It's so frustrating. You really can't win. No. You just can't win. You just go back to... Your patterns. Your patterns. Yeah. You know? Patterns suck. Yeah, they do. I hate patterns. It takes a lot of work to get over those. It's so hard. But yeah. I'm a ritual person. Are you like that? Like, I mean, you have a pretty... I don't want to say ritualized studio practice, but you're pretty... I am. I think I'm one of the least ritually people I know. Oh, I totally blew that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting that you perceive me as ritualized. You know why? Why? To be honest, because you have assistance, so I feel like you have to be ritualized if you have. Assistance. I think it's probably freed me from being ritualized. That's smart, actually. Because I, you know, I can. You have flexibility. I have a lot. I feel like my life is very flexible. Yeah. I mean, to a degree, the problem is I don't know if it's a problem or not, but um, I'm anchored pretty heavily in New York, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's hard for me to kind of leave here for a sustained period. I would have to, like, move every, you know, whatever. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe I have. Let me think about this. Maybe I am ritualized. I don't know. It, it, I think it's – I just feel like my days change. Um, and it's not just about my job, actually. Like, some days 
some days I don't brush my teeth. No. <laughs> some days. You're going to be like, you know that part where I talk about my dental hygiene? Can you cut that? Can, can you, you, can you cut out? the hygiene stuff? <laughs> It's no, totally um, a joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, like some days, like I, I, I mean, I'm a little more ritual now. Like I have more of a, a is it ritual or routine? Maybe we should be it's saying like a routine. routine yeah. yeah, like I, I have more of a routine now um, that I have a kid. But I, like you know, some days I'm not going to eat breakfast, and some days I'll eat, eat at like two p.m. And some days mm-hmm. I'm just, like starving at seven in the morning. So oh, it's just so kind of like I don't have like, like a fix. No, yeah. I don't. But um, but I kind of um, like it's kind of curious. I mean, I'm organized. Mm-hmm. I think in some way I'm not like crazy. Like I'm, I'm like pile organized. Have you heard that? No, but I'm probably that. Is that where you're half like scattered and messy and half really organized? I think you have like a big picture, like an orchestral control over like your organizational systems mm-hmm. and piles. So you kind of like conquer piles oh, at a time. Yeah. So you kind of like that sounds good. Yeah, I think I'm like that. Yeah, like I have a general, I have a broad sense of like what I'm doing. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, like, that's. I think that's a good thing because if you get too crazy about the whole thing being one seamless pile yeah you spend more time doing that than you do actually being creative I think it looks very disorganized from the outside yeah and I I rely on people who are much more organized than me to keep me looking professional or whatever yeah I mean I don't know to keep me looking like sane but I'm I'm good at like scheduling like I, I don't know I don't know I guess compared to I guess I just compare myself to like my husband or like my you know assistant seems really organized my husband doesn't seem super organized so I don't know I feel like I fall somewhere in the middle but <clears throat> who cares this is not very interesting it's totally interesting <laughs> <laughs> I don't know though I feel like there's a lot of artists that are like um um I guess it's the spectrum you know yeah a really organized I feel like you're pretty organized I think I mean your studio had really messy moments it does, I remember, yeah. No, but, but your work doesn't look super messy. Right. But I think it it actually looked messier than I thought. Yeah, it's like a combination. And it's weird because yeah. like at home, there could be like a mess here and there. But if the dishes are dirty, that drives me nuts. Agreed. So the sink's got to be spotless. Agreed. But the sofa can have the blankets all messy. It so it's no a difference. Be- no, it makes a lot of sense. It's a difference between dirt and mess. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I don't like dirt. Right. I don't like dirty surfaces sticky surfaces where you don't know what to expect there's yeah. like a weird funk like, yeah, yeah funk on you know but but if there's like a pile of clothes as long as you know that there's a pile of clothes over there that's dirty fine just keep throwing it in the dirty pile that doesn't bother me right it's a lot of pile pile stuff yeah piles your work is kind of pilish well <laughs> it's things that maybe start in a wider base that go up and inward like a pile might okay Right? Yeah, yeah. Is or an invert, inverse pile. Yeah. Yeah, mountainous, let's say. Yeah. My work is pretty mountainous, I think. Did you, um, well, that's a seamless transition to your work. <laughs> <laughs> when did you know? We're supposed to talk about my work, right? No, there, well, no. No, about, because you, people can go onto YouTube and hear you talk about yeah, one cares. specific sculpture. Right. But, like, when you, when did you know you were going to be an artist? Um, like, when did you think, I want to... Or did you make work when you were young? Did you draw a lot and stuff? I did. Yeah, I drew a lot. I, I joke that it kind of happened around when I was 11. 
Um, but I think it was maybe I don't I don't really know. I I think that the thing with I so I, I feel like every kid draws, of course. Right. Like every kid like is an artist, the old Picasso saying. Um, and I think I was fortunate in that I wasn't kind of um, steered out of it or I don't know. I, I remember in like fifth grade, so I was like nine, you know, I was the, I got like a little, and then in sixth grade, I got a little star, wooden star trophy for being like the best artist in the class or nice. whatever. Like I was very serious, yeah. but it was about cartooning. Like that was the, that was what I understood mm-hmm. as art, you know, that was my and I don't think I knew I was going to be an artist, like in this professional sense. I just like I was proud that I was like the drawer. So yeah. I would like, and we'd go to this local. Did you have a Marks where you were growing up in Pittsburgh? Marks. No. Do you guys have Marks? It's like a Northeast Ohio thing. They had like really good cartoons <laughs> in their aisles. And I, wait, it's a grocery like, store. It's like yeah, it's like groceries slash like. Drug do you store. guys have like Gabriel Brothers or anything? I don't know. No. We had Giant Eagle. It's not just a grocery store. Yeah, we had Giant Eagle, too. It's not just a grocery It's, like, also, like, I feel like surplus stuff. Oh, yeah. It's, like, kind of, really cheap. Kind like, of like what Target is now. They have groceries and cheap stuff. Or, like, a, a Not cost, as polished. Costco. Right, but not yeah. as polished, yeah. And, like, way cheaper and, like, weird. You find, like, really weird stuff there. Anyway, whatever. They have, oh, like... remember Donzies? Donzies? Were you around then in no. the south side of Williamsburg? I used to live in the Gretsch building there, right by the bridge. Yeah. There was a place called Donzies, and it was just like crap that was left over. Yeah. That was just piled for sale. But it was right. everything from like work gloves to like notebooks to yes. like yes. corn candles. That's right. Okay. You know, just right. anything. You might that find was left corn over. candles in, in, Ohio, in Marks. You <laughs> might find a lot of those. Yeah. They probably came from Marks. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, someone there did some like nice cartooning. That was their, your early art. That influence. was my first. That was my first inspiration. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> was the Isle Art. <laughs> That's Wait, kind where, of, where? What part of Ohio? In Canton. Canton. It was actually I first we moved to, to Cleveland. Yeah. No, more north, northeast. Yeah, the football hall of fame. That's we used right. to go to Canton. For the football hall of fame. You bet. Oh, you poor thing. Yeah, you I think I, I. I think I've only been there once, like as a teenager like way later mid 20s or something i mean it, you know i mean yeah it's in the whatever. shape of a football yeah exactly and we got like a <laughs> i remember i had a pin from it that you know when you're little and little things like you yeah. hold on to them yeah like i had this pin and had like yeah. a running guy on it but yeah but yeah i mean i'm from pittsburgh so football's kind yeah. of a big deal yeah no same ohio Cle- Cleveland. yeah yeah, so yeah. You, it was the browns thing yeah they're rivals yeah no i ex- i still feel really competitive with you yeah. <laughs> I forgot. In all sense. Yeah, it's yeah. just the natural. <laughs> right. You're winning. <laughs> I think you're winning right now. Actually, it's the other thing. So what, was it like typical white suburban growing up, you know, like that? Was it kind of like Pittsburgh? Yeah. It, yeah, I think it was really similar. I mean, Pittsburgh's a bigger city. So I grew up kind of in in the suburbs of Cleveland, but it sounds a little like, so we went into this, um, small suburb that was quite well to do actually, but we were in this neighborhood that was kind of the, the like less well to do mm-hmm. neighborhood or, um, the apartment. It was, yeah, it was weird. Like we kind of got lucky. It was like an apartment complex that 
it's, it's nice, but it, it we we were different than the rest of the like community. Like, yeah. this is gonna sound bad because I, I I would hate for anyone from there to hear this and be like, you sold us out because there were great people. No, no, I know, no one's gonna hear. Yeah, it. No yeah. one's gonna hear. It might not be my, my audience. No, I mean, but they were really wonderful people. But it was clear that we didn't live in the mansions that surrounded yeah. surrounded us. But so it was a really good school system. So I was, you know, and that was until I was like in a. Um, when I was 11 or something, and then we moved to North Canton, Ohio, and mm-hmm. that was kind of a culture shock a little bit, because it was almost like being in a prep school. I mean, the, you know, it was very, it was like all white, like very wealthy kids. Like um, preppy. Very preppy. Yeah. Everyone was friends. It was, I mean, there were, I mean, we were also like middle school kids, so, you know, you come to school and you like hug everyone hello for yeah. like half an hour, and then you go in and you yeah. what, do whatever, I don't know, and then... Um, I moved to Canton and like, like kids had perms, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was like really shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, it was like, it felt like really adult. And I was like a couple years, I was, whatever it sounds, I I, I started school a little earlier because I was, you were smart. I was so smart. You were advanced. I was so smart. I was trying so hard to catch. Did you enter in or (laughs) you tried to hold yourself back? Did you skip a grade? I skipped a grade. Did you? Yeah. See? Okay. It was really early, though. It's, they, yeah. they kind of missed the mark on yeah. it. They thought I was gifted. I got into gifted. <laughs> See, I didn't get any gifted. And they, they missed no, that mark. No. No. Know. And I think I was overcompensating, like, trying to, like, read the Oslo agree. Like, you know, oh, right, when, right, yeah. when I was, I'm like, 15, so like, trying to be like, look, you guys did not make a mistake here. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No, it was, it was just because... Um, I think the rules were more lax back then. We, I actually, I was born in Syria, but my parents were living in Saudi Arabia. So it, when I was in school in Saudi, in Saudi, it was, um, it was a li- I think it was like maybe like a year earlier. It wasn't a big deal. But then when we came to Ohio, my mom was like, well, she already did kindergarten. Like, why are we doing kindergarten again? Right. Put her in first grade. And she just kind of insisted. Like, I think they were like, it's not a big deal. They'll catch up. Like, who cares? You know, socializing wasn't like a factor, right. you know? Like, yeah. for immigrants, they're like, who cares? She'll adjust yeah. if she's kind of academically doing fine. When you're like a kid, like, what? You're going to learn your ABCs and, like, you know, it'll, you'll catch up pretty easily. It's yeah. not like you're, like, learning trig or whatever. Right. So I, I kept up. Like, I had decent grades or whatever. And... <clears throat> So I just kind of pushed through. So I was a couple years younger than all of my... So not only was like I, I was like the weird immigrant kid, but I was also like the younger kid that hadn't like, you know, hit puberty at the same time as the other... Whatever. Right. Like yeah. I was like especially like strange. Um, so, um, so I think going back to the art thing, I think that made me feel special because I would kind of win little awards and I was like the little artist in the school. I mean like occasional awards... But the award thing kind of kept kept up, like, I mean, I wasn't, I think I was, like, you know, I got, like, the little superlative in high school, so there's always a little bit of encouragement around the art making. Yeah. And, um, like my... validation in a way? Validation, yeah. yeah, and kids need that, oh, and yeah. I needed that, you know, because I, I felt like a weird outcast, so it was a way to feel good about myself. And yeah. also, in high school, you could, I was really into drawing realism oh, I should show you I think I might have it here for some reason I too someone was doing like a high school art a show about like uh, artists oh really what you were doing in high school yeah I was, I'm showing on my high school work um well I was 13 but yeah anyway um 
so I was drawing really realistically because, mm-hmm. like, when you're, you know, you're not doing like abstract paintings unless no, you go to a special benchmark. school. Right. That's yeah. the benchmark. Like, yeah. can you make this record cover look exactly, exactly. like Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I was doing. And it was it was a way to really measure your skill and your talent. And people are like, whoa, it really does look yeah. like a horse or whatever. Right. Um, so that was like validation. And then there wasn't a lot of pressure. Like, you know, my mom was artistic and my grandma painted in Syria, you know, so there was like artistry in my family. So that was like um, a way for them to feel proud. And there wasn't a ton of pressure for me to be like, oh, you have to be the doctor in the family. Right. So it, it was fine. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Does that stay with you? I wonder that what? whole validation desire, like, because yeah, I know every, I know every kid gets that, but I yeah. think it must be really hard being in an environment where you're the different kid. Yeah. Not like where there's a few. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like well, my in wife Ohio, grew up in that sense. My yeah. wife, it was like her and one other person in the entire school right. were not white. And mm-hmm. I think that stays. Like that's something that's yeah. really not easy, you know? Well, I had like, I had, you know, I had the advantage of, of appearing. I mean, I, I look white, you know? Yeah. Like I, I, my skin color is like light. I mean, um, I guess if you're paying close attention, like I have, you know, I'm dark featured, but I, I present as a white person. Right. <clears throat> so I had all those advantages um, culturally, I guess, of being treated, you know, s- yeah. special. Um, but I also have the um, have the experience of of being an immigrant and and knowing, um, you know another language and another culture and and kind of um and people would know that about me in school but um so I I could kind of like spy on people and like no I had a I had a different kind of empathy and understanding for people who were not you know white America right I felt othered in terms of my culture but I didn't on the street get treated and like much differently. And you came early enough that culturally you were just American too. Whereas if you came if you're like twelve as opposed to yeah. what five. Yeah, no, I didn't have an accent or anything. Yeah. yeah. And so, you just felt like the culture was the culture. I mean, you know, yeah. when you're five you adapt. Yeah. When you're like twelve, yeah. it's 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 different. It's different. Like when your wife was twelve. Oh no, no, she's same thing. So, oh same, my yeah, yeah, yeah. Five. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, but I would see when, my cousins come over when they're like nineteen and it was like a whole different ball yeah, game. Yeah. You're just like it's, it's, it's just like learning language. Total culture You can shock. do it seamlessly yeah. when you're five. Yeah. You come over when you're 10, that accent is right. there forever. I know. And people are always like, well, not always, but often like, oh, you don't have an accent. Like, yeah. I mean, I was little and <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. Yeah. Um, so it was, I mean, but I, I think the weirdness was other things in my life that differentiated me from my, you know, from the other school kids. Like, I, of course, my, my family was Muslim, so, you know, we weren't allowed to date. We weren't allowed to, like, go to parties. We didn't drink. I couldn't wear, like, short shorts. I couldn't go to the sleepovers. Like, yeah. it was a whole different, you know, so that set me apart when you're in middle school and everyone's wearing short shorts and shaving their legs mm-hmm. and you're, like, the weird girl wearing like shorts to your knees and like you know like you haven't started shaving yet or whatever like there's it's different like you know when you're a kid those things weigh really heavily but um yeah because you can't fit in really yeah you're kind of like there are some yeah there's some difference there's some difference and then you know like my mom comes in and she has like a thick accent and 
you know, was listening, like blasting her Arabic music in the car and we're all ducking, you know, so there's like this whole other, mom, come on. so embarrassing. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I hid a lot of that as best as I could when I was younger. I was more yeah. embarrassed by it. She was like, you're going to love it when you're older and blah, blah, blah. You're going to miss your, and you know, oh, she was right. Yeah, like I, right. I totally, I mean, of course you're going to be nostalgic for those things. Right. So. Moms are right. Moms are usually right. Well, not all moms. There are some really bad moms out there. Are there? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, yeah, it's like every true. shade. Like, there are, you know, yeah. really crappy moms who are like, whatever. That's true. Neglectful and manipulative. And it's also, it's every, it's like everything is a spectrum. That's true. You know, moms have their good days and then no one's like a perfect parent. You have your bad days. Yeah, definitely. And you like totally manipulate your kids sometimes, I'm sure. I'm sure I'll end up manipulating. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's not even like something that's <laughs> that you think about or that you, you know, contextualize. It's, yeah. That's just part of the game. It's just that's yeah. how you do. Yeah. I mean, they manipulate you. For sure. Like, yeah. from the jump, and well, they don't I mean, stop. Yeah, I'm going to totally be manipulating them t- into not being a fanatical religious person. Yeah. That's a form of, that's me imposing. I don't know if it's manipulation. I guess, I don't know. I'm overstating that. I don't think it's manipulation. I think it's just just teaching them what I think is best. Yeah. I think it would be manipulating them if they were in an environment where that was the norm or facilitated and you yeah. were like, you're not going to do that. But I don't think that's the case. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I think you're, you're just Yeah, like what's the line? Like what's, what, what is like manipulating? Yeah. I don't know. Telling them to like indoctrinating them with what you think is right. Yeah, because bribery comes into it too. You start doing this thing where you're like, or like guilting. I think guilting is the worst. Like, yeah, that's not good for kids. Right, right. Bribing's a little higher up on the ladder than yeah, in the in the like intellectual like you know being evolved kind of scale. Yeah, bribing is not such a bad thing to do. Probably teaches them teaches teaches them like money handling skills. Right. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) I know because. It, it's funny because you'll hear these things like you'll listen to people talking about parenting and you're like, oh, I just, I guess I blew that. Oh, mm-hmm. I blew that. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's just a series of mistakes. For sure. And you're just totally experimenting on your kids. Like, you don't know. It's Everyone is. Yeah. There's no handbook, really. Yeah. I mean, you're just trying to limit the damage. Yeah. Oh, it's so heartbreaking. <laughs> no, it's great. It's it, true. It's great because yeah. we all know we're doing a better job than our parents. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Right? Is that the bar? I think so. Yeah. You were hoping, hoping, so that by the time you have, like, great-great-grandkids, they're, like, these super beings, like, superhuman, like, super evolved intellectual beasts, you know? Or robots. Or robots, yeah. Yeah. Let's just cut right to the chase. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, back when we were growing up, the cars, like, the back wind, (laughs) the the back um, window in the car was, like, slanted. It was smaller than it is now. Now, like, you have much better vision. Is this a metaphor? I used to ride in that nook back there, jammed in. What? (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so abusive. No, I did that willingly. Oh, my God. Right. Like, remember, there was no car seats when we were kids? You, you I just... don't remember there not being car seats. How old are you? Really? <laughs> oh, uh-oh. Wait, there were no car seats in no, Pittsburgh when you were a kid? No, we didn't have car seats. I mean, maybe you don't remember. I mean, it, I mean, we... when I was a baby, maybe there was... Well, yeah. I don't yeah. even like think you, so. You stopped using car seats, what, when you are three? Yeah, but Why I Why would you remember that? I don't think I had... No, but I'm just saying even when you're, you know, like five or six years old, you have a booster, you're in a car seat still. Oh, right. Like, I used to ride in the front when I was, like, tiny, and I would ride on the, oh. like, go down in the 
on the little well, well like, yeah. yeah and i would lay down in there while driving like yeah. now you, you a parent would be arrested and it's taken fun. protective yeah. services for yeah, that, yeah you know yeah i'm pretty sure i rode in the trunk occasionally <laughs> Talk to your mom. <laughs> yeah. So just by that, I yeah. feel like I'm a better parent. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And and my my parents were really young, you know. Yeah. And that's, oh yeah. That's they, hard. My, They're like young immigrants. They I can't know. imagine. They're total fear. They have no idea what's going on over here. Yeah. Or they didn't. Like yeah. I was raised by early twenty year olds. Yeah. Yeah. What you too. Yeah. That's crazy. Really, and and I mean, I can't imagine me I doing know. that. I know. You're still sorting it out. Yeah, it's weird. But Although, it's weird evolutionary. Like You're supposed to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because now like But it's like survival. That's I true. I think we're past that though. We don't all have to have like kids when we're twenty. Oh no. Yeah, but I think you know. like body wise, <laughs> you know. Because yeah. like when you the first couple years, as you know, when you're holding the kid all the time, your back it just goes to shit. I mean <laughs> like you can't Oh, I've I've totally screwed the up. The back my body. is terrible. Yeah. And like it took me a while to get over that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and my neck and, is just gone, tailbone, yeah. can't sit for long periods. I know. Yeah, it's a mess. But if you're 18 and you got that kid, you bounce right back. Yeah, it's no problem. <laughs> yeah. But then you, you can just, put, him, put him to work at the farm. Yeah, there. you raise a devil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, so you, okay, you, you were doing art. Oh, yeah, back being, to the timeline. You were being going. creative, but then you thought... I was being... I was trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was doodling and... But what's the college decision? Like, how did you feel? So, you know, then high school, like, you know, kind of put me in the... I was in the, like... Back then, it wasn't weird to say. You're like the alternative kid. No one says alternative anymore. It's like cheesy or something. I don't even know. Do they know what alternative... Because remember, on. there was alternative music. There's no such thing. No anymore. one says that. What is it like indie? Indie. indie yeah. I guess. Yeah, but, but before indie, indie rock it was has kind of gone. I know no one says that either. Indie. No. Indie now it's pop. Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all one smear. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's called. But back then, it wasn't a weird term. It was alternative. And if you can imagine, that wasn't like yeah. a weird. You know, remember? Yeah. Remember 120 minutes. 120. That minutes. MTV show that came oh, out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like I wasn't allowed to watch MTV, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No. With Sorry. Kurt, Kurt um, Anderson. Kurt Loader? Kurt, no. Kurt Anderson. Oh, Kurt Anderson. Yeah, he was the early Kurt. That's right. Who's and Kurt Loader? Oh, Kurt Loader. He was the film guy. Wasn't oh, wait, he? who's Kurt Anderson? Should we Google this? Wait. Is Kurt Anderson? No, Kurt Anderson is like on NPR, isn't he? I don't know. <laughs> Kurt Loader was Kurt one. Loader. He was the news guy on MTV, but it was, um, what was her name? She had one name. Kennedy. Kennedy. Kennedy was yeah. one of those early VJs. And yeah. Samantha. Anyways, it was yeah. good. They all got their start there. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah. when MTV played music. Yeah. Actually, is there still MTV? Oh, yeah. There do you remember MTV. when a real, real world first came I out? I do. True that story. Yeah. yeah. That was amazing. It was the country guy. It was guy. so shocking. It was. It was amazing. Yeah, I watched that. Like, yeah, the whole, me too. It was entertaining. Oh, I got totally sucked in. It's probably still going. Like I mean, I would secretly 40. watch it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You're not allowed to do that. I wasn't really that. allowed to watch MTV. Or like, I wasn't allowed to watch um, what was it? Blossom. Oh, with, um, what's her name? Yeah. Wait, did that affect you later on? Do you feel like there's residuals? I feel like I, I feel like I missed out. Now you just binge, like, I crap binge TV. I binge Blossom and, like, Married with Children. <laughs> we weren't allowed to watch Married with Children, which is not that good a show, I don't think. Oh, yeah, you weren't missing out no, on that one. No, That was no. annoying. There's huge culture, like, gaps in my, in my life that shame me to this day. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. It's it's horrible. I'm sure. I walk around paralyzed with fear that someone's going to find out I never watched Married with Children. 
Um, you have this rich cultural history as well. That <laughs> yeah. You held it back. Uh, yeah. As a um, as like a counterpoint to that, I, I spent some summers in Syria, got to see some some real things. So anyway, um, so we um, I was uh, where were we? At? You were, we were going in to high school. Okay, so in high school, so I was like an alternative kid, mm-hmm. and that just like folds very like easily into. Art, you know, music. art, yeah. Yeah, art or music, yeah, right? Art You're or either going to play in a band or be an artist. Yeah, I mean, I really didn't. I was always like, I'm the artist in my head. I was like, I'm an artist, I'm an artist, I'm an artist, whatever. Yeah. And that changed, that I that changed slightly. Like when you get to college and you're like listening to, I mean, I don't know, like you listen to your music and you listen to your whatever and then you're in this subculture and then you're, I just always in that, I was, I like actually made a, made a decision in high school once. It was really dramatic. I was kind of like with the, like nice neighborhood preppy girls and they were really sweet and really awesome actually but they were just more like whatever I, I like the grittier kids like I ended up dating the you know the oh in my mouth should hear this oh. <laughs> I was dating my secret dating in high school um but whatever like well you were just hanging out I was ha- hanging you weren't out. dating oh no just getting to know someone no yeah but he was you know like the alternative kids like right. you know tongue piercers or whatever yeah super good kids actually like yeah Got really good grades, you know, straight edge or whatever. Right. Um, although straight edge happened more when I was in college. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I lived with some straight edge guys. Yeah. Straight edge was weird. It was. There was nothing like in it. the closet or the fridge ever. They were I vegan. didn't like it. They were vegan before there was a vegan, like, yeah. menu it in felt, life. It felt too familiar. I yeah. was like, what? If I wanted to be straight edge, I would just stay at home with my parents. Like, why would I be straight edge? Oh, see, they are. They are yeah, it's so weird. Yeah, I thought it was extreme. Yeah. I like extreme things, though. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, in an abstraction. It depends. Not, I don't like religious extreme things, but I respect the kind of commitment, yeah. the passion of, like, being, I don't know. Fully committed. Yeah, it's fascinating, but it, it also, like, repulses me a little. Yeah. I think, like, meditation, maybe. Yeah. Like, Buddhists are a little more admirable be- yeah. to me, as if it's going into religious vein, just because right. of... It doesn't impede on anyone. Everyone, it feels like a lot of religions just impede on other people's yeah, lives. Yeah. And like Buddhism is just, it's just you and your, you know, like it's yeah. not, you don't find people going around the world trying to convince people like, hey, you should meditate. Right. Or you're going to hell. Right. <laughs> right. But I think the Buddhists have also like committed some, t- like, you know. You're, okay, you're it's right. Not all, it's not all like, <laughs> um, but it, whatever. We're not no, no, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, maybe just a little less. Maybe a little less. I mean, yeah. A little more internalized. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, that's me. Like, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. My like spirituality is just closer, me. more like I just it. hold yeah. it, and it's not right. like informed by other doctrines right. or whatever. You know, it's just my thing. But you know, that's me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I guess I just I always think about like, um, it. It seems I would I think that from the viewpoint of other people I live a very extreme life and I feel like I'm kind of moderate Ex- I, don't, I don't know if that was a weird jump no no we I'm thinking I about like saying. religion yeah I wasn't actually thinking about ex- extreme people as like in, in a religious sense but like the straight edge kids felt like extreme to me it's kind yeah. of fascinating but like I don't know there's a real collectivism to it too that's yeah kind of always culty. yeah yeah but so that's what I'm, I always feel like I'm not super culty but I think we are like we're I mean we probably seem very extreme yeah too I mean we're like New York liberals 
Right. Artist. I know. Hipster or it's, something. It's yeah. culty. It's culty. Everyone's got their little. You just have to accept it. Yeah. As long as your particular cult is welcoming. <laughs> Come to my cult. Right. <laughs> anyway, yeah. how do we get on this? Um, college. <laughs> Taking college notes. This is very culty. I yeah. like your notes. So, I yeah, again. So, how did you pick where you're going to go to school? Um, my dad picked where I was going to go to school because... Well, that makes it easy. Yeah, yeah. He felt <laughs> like I was going down a dangerous path because he might have seen my friend smoking cigarette or something. I don't know. It was like some dumb thing. And I that got. doesn't happen at Kent State University? Well, he just wanted me to be close to home. And you remember, I was 16 when I graduated high school oh, and wow. I was in college. So, I was... Yeah, I was kind of like, you have to stay at the local branch right, right. of Kent. Which, at that age, I could see that at that age. I mean, I think, yeah, I wasn't even 18, so I, yeah. you know, they would have had to um, sign off. But it was, it was not, um, it was not assumed, I think, by my mom that I was going to, like, leave home yeah. and go to college. Like, that was not something that she did. It wasn't right. the kind of old world tradition like you kind of in Syria you, you stay at home with your parents till you're married like yeah. otherwise you're just kind of like given them the middle finger right it's not it's not what you do right so and that was a huge away. fight yeah yeah that was a huge fight to kind of um you know move out and go to go to college so what I did I um and this is part of the reason that I I like um because I wanted to get out of house mm-hmm. obviously I had a like very restrictive um home life and so my ticket out was my education. So I, my, my local kind of branch of Kent, mm-hmm. I went to school there for a year and I, um, I just took an overload of classes and I just, I didn't sleep and I got all A's and I proved to them that I was whatever, like ready to go. Mm-hmm. And I skipped like, um, you know, so I was like a 17 year old junior in college, like credit wise. Whoa, so I that's could, a heavy load. it was crazy. I went insane. I was like, I, I mean, I just remember I was like, I am getting out of here and there's my only way out. Like, I can't just be like, guys, I'm moving out. Yeah. I had to kind of be like. I have nothing left to do here. Right. Like I, you were impeding my development academically yes. if I stay home. So I, I wanted to like go to the main branch. Right. Um, and my parents aren't actually that religious or strict. In fact, they're very, I mean, now you, they're very not like, you know, very, yeah. very moderate. If my mom is like a moderate, you know, and my dad hates religion. So, um, so it was just a different, you know, it was more kind of anxiety about like their only daughter. Well, yeah, I think go, it's going, a parent, yeah. when their kid goes with no parent wants to send their no kid No parent school. does, but it's more common here. Like they just understand that's the next step. Yeah. Like, I mean, Americans are like, when you're 16, you're good. You're out of the house. Like, yeah. I don't have to worry about you anymore. Like, and my parents just found that appalling. Right. Like just that notion that you kick your kids out when they're 18, just because they're 18 is like like cruelty or something and they just don't want their kids to leave unless they're like secure especially their girls you know like they're they have to be kind of like you know from from father to husband yeah Yeah. right um so it was it was like a struggle for me to kind of get into to get to college kind of like be on my own but I proved myself and got into a big fight and we we I I went off to school and I kept getting good grades I was like very serious about like maintaining my grades because otherwise I didn't want to give them like a reason that you know right. it was like a, a messing up. So, so at that rate, you got your PhD in one. I year. got. I was gonna get my. I was like, I'm gonna get my. Prove them. Prove to them that I'm not gonna get married. Your, your whole life <laughs> up to that point is like a series of like. 
confirmation. Like you just had to like prove everything. I had to Isn't pr- that yeah. exhausting? Oh yeah, I was tired. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's, I mean, yeah, it, it was, I mean, I think to some you know, a lot of that's relaxed now that I'm an adult, but it did make me very serious at a young age. Yeah. And it made me feel like I have, but I also, when you're an immigrant, you feel um, a lot more pressure and a lot more responsibility on your own shoulders. Like my parents couldn't really help me with my schoolwork. Right. You know, so you got to be the one. To I had everything. to, yeah, I shouldered all of the research. Yeah, yeah, I had to figure it out. And like, so it makes you very independent yeah. and it makes you feel more confident that you can get things done. But Strong, there is, yeah, yeah. yeah, it makes you, you know, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of like, you know, you were here. We came all the way and you have to do this right. Yeah. So, there was that sense and we didn't you know I didn't come from any money so there was no safety net so it was yeah. really like you I, you have to be perfect so I did I did try to just be like I mean it, it was always of course nice to get the affirmations but in my, to my mind it, I didn't want to just kind of you know get the A's to show my parents it was at, at a certain point it was beyond that mm-hmm. I was like I need I need to not I need to not mess up like I need and also there was I don't know, there was this expectation that I didn't need to be a doctor or whatever. Like, I didn't need to kind of support myself or be independent. And I resented that so much, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, my brother was one day going to be a surgeon and decided he was going to be a a dentist. And that was like, what? How could you? You wanted to be a surgeon and now you want to be a dentist? Like... (laughs) Really taking it down a notch there. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't have those kind of, like, you know conversations so um but then of course like I got really into art and when I got into college it was a different kind of work that I was making and it was you know I learned about installation art I learned about having a studio I learned about mold making and and that just um that took me to a whole new level and so I put all of that energy I think into um into making things Mm and um and like art articulating the spaces that I need. I think about this a lot actually in the past few years um, because most of the work people know um, is that is is quite large. Yeah. And I mean, I make works of, um, I make smaller works. I make works on paper. I make um, mylar. I make um, smaller sculptures. But of course, like I'm, I also love making big environments, like yeah. big, big thing big objects like I never in high school or college whatever it was I didn't start off being a sculptor because I didn't like what I knew about sculpture when I was you know 17 was that it's a thing on a pedestal and that just I didn't have that kind of energy to just sit at a you know sit and like carve or like play with clay at a Mm -hmm. chair I just I mean when I was little I I remember in sixth grade I was in choir and I was always drawing and so she moved me to the art class and um and I was make and I was they had like a clay thing, so I made like a little clay hamburger, like whatever. <laughs> Stupid, I still have it. Um, but I remember I would always get yelled at because I was always standing in class, like I wasn't like everyone else was sitting doing their projects at their table, and I literally stood the entire class. I was the one kid. Can you imagine? Like looking back now, that's, yeah. that looks so weird. weird. The yeah. picture of that looks so weird, but everyone just accepted it. I just always stood at my in my area and work and so I've never told anyone that I've never even thought about it until now but um it just I just had a lot of I had this kind of physical energy like a need to kind of like articulate my space and and 
And I, I think a lot of that restriction that I grew up with um, culminated in this um, or found found an outlet um, in this need to kind of take up space yeah. when I was you know older, when I was in college. So I was really into making installations and I actually made for a long time a lot of these pod things. Mm-hmm. Like I would... Um, I was into welding right away because you could, um, it was almost like drawing in space, you know, you just like tack weld little lines and all of a sudden you have a shape and you can go in it and outside. So I was making these kind of comfort spaces, um, that had like a suburban, um, kind of, uh, flair or whatever. Like I would make these pods, these like, um, AstroTurf pods with like um black light lit interior like cotton interiors and you go in and kind of like meditate or whatever and like a cheesy I was really into like suburban materials and like irony whatever like this was like just before the like American beauty like you oh, know yeah. like yeah. aesthetic mm-hmm. kind of hit um but I I totally got that it was like really um into the, like the artificial slash real um experience of the suburbs um that weird tension of like this desire for a spiritual experience but with very limited and um manufactured materials i guess Um, so was this in grad school or this was all undergrad undergrad yeah so i was like um you know i'd use like vinyl a lot of like vinyl and like car like I don't know, whatever. So I, I made these, um, I made these like pods that you'd go into and then I made, um, stuff out of paper plates. That was another way of like, I made like a kind of paper plate cave and I, I show that when I do like lectures. Um, so for me, when I learned about sculpture as like, um, an experience and a, and a way to make installations and, um, articulate spaces, that was when it really resonated. Before that, I was just like a drawing major cause I figured, you could draw as a basis for everything. And yeah. so I could kind of do whatever. And, First step. Okay, yeah. Okay. And I, it could kind of keep my, my options really wide. So I could do printmaking and call it a drawing or I could paint and kind of like get drawing credit or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was really, um, yeah, I was really dedicated to the sculpture class. First sculpture class I took at Kent was a, it was like a blossom program. It was like a summer class. It was two weeks, I think intensive and they would bring in um a visiting artist from um new york did you do this did you ever visit them no oh i should put you in touch with them it's really fun it's a very intense like nine to five or nine to six whatever it's like a a, basically pack a semester into two weeks and it's basically i mean it kind of feels like what your life what an artist's life looks like Late, like now that's yeah. what I do like right. I'm in every day or like whatever day day. yeah you're you know or I, I was you know sometimes I do half days or whatever or whatever it takes um but yeah that that's um it looked it really looked like what an artist's life might look like yeah um so you had the time to really like get into your materials and I did mold making and I did um all this stuff so for me when I could really take up space and mm-hmm. really own the space and there was this outlet um a lot of women don't have that and that I'm lucky that I have that um, thing. So I think about, I mean, a sculpture is all about space, like Mm -hmm. defining space, thinking about space, how, you know, what the space that the 
whatever lack of a better word viewer occupies the yep. space the psychological space the projected space um and um and when you become all consumed by s- spatial studies um and then you think about how space was restricted to you um, or to me. And I, I think a lot of women, so not just my particular story, but I think a lot of women relate to that. Yeah. I can think of a lot of women who make big sculptures. Um, and I think it, it has, there's a relationship to being constantly asked to take up less space in our society. Mm-hmm. And, and then this kind of, if you have, if you're fortunate enough to have, you know, art or something to kind of, um, as, as a place where, um, you feel per, like you have permission, um, work, things can get bigger Yeah, and you it, can, it's interesting too, because a lot of people will see the work in relation, like the scale of your work being related to the subject matter and this idea, but it's interesting too, that it's, it runs deeper. I think the, the reason artists do certain things in their work is not just the work itself and ideas that they're interested in, but it's also like. Yeah. Like growing up, like cultural th- or like things. Yeah. It's almost like everything with kids. Like your early years shape you so much. You can't untangle any of it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because on the one hand, you don't want to talk about your biography every time you show your work. That's what I was going to say. You probably don't talk about that that much. You no, know? And, and no, I don't. I mean, I, I recently, um, I wrote about it a little bit here and there, and I recently spoke, um, kind of mentioned it. Um, I was... It was um, given a little, um, it was like a Women in the Arts Award with um, in Miami Basel for, for the Miami Basel magazine. It was like a luncheon, and I, I kind of touched on it then, and um, there was a room full of women, and I was, I was surprised, not maybe surprised, but, um, you know, a lot of people were like that. They made a lot of sense to me, because, you know, you know, there is, there is, um, and not just in our, um, everyday women experience. I mean, everyday women, I think, around the world are their experiences that they have to get smaller and take up less space. Mm-hmm. Whether it's lose weight, whether it's um, don't speak up, mm-hmm. whether it's you know, there's there's just there's um, there there's there's a conflict of of how much space you're allowed to take up psychologically, socially, like physically, how loud you're allowed to be. And, and me growing up, I it wasn't encouraged that I was so loud. Like it was, um, it was like kind of irritating. I wasn't like this, you know, petite, quiet little mouse that, you know, took everything in was like very polite. Like I was very impolite, you yeah. know, it was, yeah. um, so, so it makes sense to me that when I, I, I never had that, um, that issue never, um, I felt f- free to take up space in my work in a way that I don't always feel free in other yeah. parts of my life. Um, so I'm lucky that I have that. But it's also, you know, it, it, it does come, I'm sure, from a psych- deep-seated psychological place. But it's also, um, it's it's more than just, and it, or perhaps it's become more than just a kind of a gut, um, like a kind of, animal instinctual reaction like it's evolved into a I think an intellectual study or like a you know a um you know a a more rigorous kind of um concern with 
um, how space is divided and how objects um, do or don't hold space or how they, um, I don't know, how they, how they cr- create feeling or, um, I don't know, I, I, I'm forever um, mystified by how you can have an object in your head or a space or a place in your head and it just never feels the same as when you're when it's tangible and made material in a real space in an environment in an environment they just never sync up no matter what um and i i think that's going to forever be magical for me Mm -hmm. um it's like the payoff too isn't it or like yeah it's what gives back to you i would imagine Mm -hmm. like if you make a piece that's you know that you show in Abu Dhabi, and then a piece that you show in a temple in Japan. It must be so different, like mm-hmm. like the reaction and the environment and the way that the work exists mm-hmm. in that environment. Is and so even different. in your head before it even gets out. Yeah. You know what you think is going to happen, right. how you think it's going to hold energy or space. And this is where I get a little bit of a mystic, but like these things have energy. There's yeah. there's um, something going on right. that happens when it's made physical that doesn't happen in your head when it's just an idea. Yeah, I mean, it's kind it, of, yeah. It also like enriches the way you think. Because yeah. Because you're thinking about a different culture. You're thinking about different yeah. spaces. You're thinking about different reactions. And, yeah. And you're creating almost in response to the anticipated response or something, you know, or that yeah. dialogue that you had, that the work has with people wherever it is. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. You have to adjust the tone a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. Like if, well, yeah, I guess. Did you know that I had work in a temple in Japan? I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was like, how did yeah, we t- you sent me a thing. Oh, of course. It. Yeah, we were texting like where I should tour Kazir, <laughs> my my favorite expert in Japan. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I did everything on your list actually. I'm just remembering. Was it okay? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. The pictures look amazing. Yeah. Oh, of, of the, the piece? trip. Oh. oh yeah. <laughs> I was like, I did, I did that go see I the deer in our. <laughs> <laughs> I sent, didn't I send you some pictures of my trip? Um, no, but the pictures of the work. Oh, yeah, thank you. Looked really. That was that Great. was a really really interesting experience. It's a cool um, place, right? Really magical, yeah. yeah. And the place that I was doing the work in this pond in the in the temple mm-hmm. was um, they believe that a dragon lived there, so um, it was it was kind of you know of course I didn't believe that a dragon lived there, but I sort of started to feel like. Yeah. something was amiss you know right. there were weird things that would happen but i you know you just it, it showed the power of this kind of magical thinking that it can sort of start to feel like you know something is i love that though it stretches you out of because really what is real <laughs> right no one you knows. know what i mean yeah like there was the last time i was there there was a, we went to this there's like these energy spots and i went to this what do you mean like a pokey style yeah exactly with a lore <laughs> module <laughs> So, oh my God, you play too? I do. My son okay. loves it. Right. Yeah, I play. I play for him. Right. It's not for me. No, no. I no. don't enjoy. Yeah, it at my all. son too. Yeah, I was in like Central Park yesterday. <laughs> really? Yeah, of course. So this is like a, a, a sacred spot where there's this tree that's like really old. Yeah. You know, it's like this really old tree, and the idea is I don't know. It was like hit by lightning or something. It's it's just amazing. The mm-hmm. thing is beautiful, and it's in this temple area. So. 
And the idea is, is you walk around the tree, and each time you walk around, you add a year to your life. Oh my gosh! And I was really? like, oh, that's cool. And then yeah, you're like, oh, I'll do it. Yeah, oh, sure. I want to believe that so bad. And I go so around bad. once, and then like after like the third lap, I'm like, no, no, this is real. It's working. <laughs> it's working. I'm like, when am I gonna stop? And like, yeah. And how can you disprove that? No, I just kept going and going yeah. until it was like, okay, we've got to get out of you're here. You're gonna like pass out. You're but, like, I can't live any more than this. <laughs> Ten years is enough. Yeah. And there was traffic, so I'm like, ah. I can't do this forever. There's Too traffic around the tree that you're... No, there's just like people. Oh, it's not just... New York traffic, like people. Okay. Oh, no, people is a tiny little oh, path yeah. and there's like, you oh. know, some elderly people there taking the drive. It was amazing. But, you know, it's it's almost like you... There's so much of your life is, is shaped by the outlook and the way yeah. that you perceive things. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. And they have a, the ability there, especially in like certain circumstances, like to, to put that under the spotlight. And yeah. you're just like, oh, yeah, I can believe this and this is yeah it does you know, feel magical and you and it's so easy to feel like a peace when you're there too yeah. like did you go to the temple with all those statues yeah like, oh. well what oh the thousand yeah, yeah you can't take yeah. pictures mm-hmm. it, i mean how do you it doesn't matter they're who all you are. different yeah. you go in there and you're just like oh my god this yeah. is amazing yeah and i find that um i find that so exciting because i'm not um i don't subscribe to one religion like i'm not a religious person um i i it would be a stretch for me to even say I'm spiritual, but um, but around objects, yeah. I notice a shift yeah. in my you know awareness or consciousness or something, and that that is what um, a art is good for, and b what um, these other kind of dipping into these other um, sacred spaces. I totally agree. Um, is good for. Yeah, like the like the first time I went to Notre Dame, it was like uh-huh. amazing. Yeah. And I'm not a church dude. At no, all. Like me I neither. Did, I didn't go growing up, and I didn't like it. And, yeah. But that was amazing. Yeah. Like, I felt, you know, moved. Yeah. And then I go to Venice, and I see the Picasso, the bathers one at the Guggenheim there, and uh-huh. I was moved in a similar way. I was like, yeah. this painting is amazing. You know, because, like, someone's making this amazing thing. You yeah. know, it's really what yeah. it's about. Like, yeah. When I see What was that, the first painting you cried in front of? Or were to just move to near tears, or I don't know. Um, Do you it remember? Was, yeah, it was uh, a Rothko. Really? And I, wow. A Rothko at the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh. Wow. I think that That's was it. Cool. If I'm not mistaken, it was. I was really young, so I'm, yeah. It might be one of those memories that are totally and, yeah. manipulated. Yeah. Okay. I just remember it was a monster painting, like an abstract, yeah, like huge painting. And when you're small, a big painting is like epic. You know? Right. What about the? So you think Notre Dame was the first kind of like space that produced a spiritual religion or like spiritual experience? No, no. But that one was. What was it? it stands big, out. Yeah. Because it was so. I guess because also I, I push against that kind of. Yeah. Like Catholicism. Exactly. Or like, or exactly. But that's what makes it so notable. Yeah. Is that that's what I w- that's kind of what I was saying. Like I'm not myself a religious person, right. so when it hits me, it feels even more meaningful because right. I'm not kind of um, I'm not I'm not bringing it on. I'm not asking for it. Yeah. Um, it kind of has to work hard to get to me, and and when it does, I know it's real. Yeah. You yeah. It, it has that effect. I mean, I've had it. Like I'm not walking around looking for like religious experiences here and there. It's well, like clearly you're just looking for Pokemon. I'm just stops. I'm looking for Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta catch them all. Which is a similar yeah. excitement to it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I've had that. Like when you go to Nara and there's that huge Buddha, like it's ginormous. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, that was amazing. And I think to myself, like Notre Dame too, I'd say, well, if I was alive in 1783 or Wouldn't something. Wouldn't you be converted? And I walked in that place, I'd probably believe. I know, yeah. totally. Like people carve, there's like little lion heads yeah. way up top. and. Mm-hmm. People carve it's them magical. Out and, it's and magical. They spend their entire life like on one corner of a building. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, I mean, as artists, we spend our time and energy and our life basically making things that are, in all honesty, probably not necessary, literally to our existence. Mm. You know what I mean? They're they're more yeah fulfilling. It's not food. Way. Yeah, right. And it's water. Not a banana. Yeah. So. <laughs> You know, it's yeah. when when you see people doing that. Anytime I see someone devoting time and effort to making something that's like um, enriching on that level, right? It's, it translates. It's, it's moving to me. I feel like, oh yeah, I'm doing that too. Like that's what I'm dedicating my life to. Yeah, and I actually going back to this thing where you can um, really kind of almost quantify it, but then it it really becomes more than the sum of its parts. Is the um, when when people see like handwork or yeah. craft work, whatever, like, um, you know, this facility, the, the workmanship, um, ornamentation, when they yeah. can, when they can kind of see that, um, even a non-artist is, um, I think moved because yeah. there's a human kind of element where they, they understand the effort to a degree they know, mm-hmm. but it becomes incalculable. Like you can't, you know, really calculate what um, Gaudi's work, like what that took, you know, it becomes hard to, it's like, you know, trying to conceptualize like what a billion looks like, you know, you can't, like it's, it's It's beyond, yeah, and And I think, right, right, yeah, and some of these like endeavors, you know, these cathedrals that are um, so out of reach, but yeah. you, you have, you can kind of see the scale, like you can see a little mark, like you said, on a, you know, gargoyle or this little corner of the yeah. building is, has this input. Um, and then you zoom out and you, you can't calculate how much more, you know, you see it everywhere. Yeah. You know, I took my mom to Versailles and she was just having that same experience. Like, you know, wow, all the work, you know, right. like all the work in it. And yeah. she just always talks about how much work there is and and that is for her a kind of measure of um of um of like quality or like of of an artistic experience if that's part because in a way sometimes some people feel or in certain circumstances it could be seen as that's kind of like the record cover art it's like base or something just draws it to make it look like like it's skill yeah and it's too easy to like kind of kind of calibrate the quality like the yeah, or it's it's a crutch for yeah. for worth maybe. Yeah, I don't know because then, you know, I'll see something that's incredibly time consuming and and the yeah. skill is so obviously part of it and really love that. But then I'll see like a minimal painting, like a Ryman or something, yeah. and I'd be like, that's amazing too, or like an Agnes Martin, and yeah. that blows me away just as much. Right. So I don't know. It's, it's complicated. I think it takes um, experience to know the difference. I've also seen, like, you know, people who come into the studio every day and they're working and they're working, they put in the time and they put it all in, and, you know, it doesn't, again, like amount to more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. So it, it, it's really, um, I, you know, I think you can tell the difference. Like, just putting in time doesn't equal, you know, good work. Yeah, or, definitely. And, but, 
I mean, that kind of goes back to the old, this was now moving into like the grad school portion of my timeline like that. When I was introduced to Lowe's work mm-hmm. um, and he wrote, you know, a thing, Ornament and Crime, that was very resonant for me because not just my culture, but, um, um, and not just other, you know, quote, Eastern mm-hmm. cultures, but even like, you know, the Renaissance and all these, you know, Western, um, um, whatever, um, cathedrals and um they they're they're filled with ornament and you know when modernism hit it was this kind of shameful thing that we should be able yeah it was excess and it's it's not necessary and it's applicate it's like applique it's not kind of um integral to the function or to um you know you have to pare it down and simplify and like simplicity and like um Kind of whitewashing is more beautiful. So anything unnecessary is just show offy, yeah. or just what he kind of considered design crime almost. Like right. it's, um, and that, and and I'm not the only artist. Um, I think Middle Eastern artist where that was, um, that was like a, that that kind of stirred me. Um, like it landed in a bad, bad spot in me because I recognized being. I think of two minds, yeah. like growing up in Ohio, where incidentally, you know, the average, you know, non-art educated American would also like kind of understand art by way of um, ornament or, you know, technical skill. Yeah. Labor, even. Labor. You know, the amount of work you put totally. into Totally. Yeah. Labor. Yeah. Um, but um, but then in my home as well, like we had a lot of like ornamental objects, and my mom loves you know flowers and things that are beautifully decorated. And you know, I think you can. I think it's it was such an oversimplified um, kind of position, like an extreme position that turned turned into like fanatical religion. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Lois was kind of turned into that. So I I reacted. I was I was kind of like upset that I was being kind of shamed for, I think, also appre- appreciating mm-hmm. um, workmanship and labor and, and knowing the value of it and, yeah. and feeling moved by it. Um, but at the same time, probably like you, my professors were old school modernists. You know, mm-hmm. they were like all about, you know, the 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 grid of the canvas and showing the, you know, the... Um, you know, truth to the materials and um, you know kind of getting rid of excess and and studying the most slight shifts of color and energy you know and and that's so valuable too yeah and I um, also my rational mind just um, just absorbed that so much I mean actually it's a very rational just as in some ways like ornamentation um, seems irrational. I also think that is, in some ways, um, feels irrational. Feels like something you can kind of measure. Yeah. You know, there's something that you can um, kind of understand quickly. Yeah. Um, and modernism too is actually very. I think like there is a there is um, 
I don't know. There's, there's, it appeals, I think, to the rational mind. It seems to make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. There isn't excess. There isn't um, overage. There's no like, you know, everything is is used very economically and whatever, whatever. Um, so there's something attractive about that, especially when you're, you know, in the world of the suburbs of Ohio, where it's just like excess, excess, excess. You know, like space is wasted everywhere, and yeah. You got like your marks with all your like, you know, leftover surplus from other places, yeah. and you know it seems it seems like um, just too much, and you want to pare it down. It's like noise in a yeah, way. It's yeah, like- yeah. But there's a huge, you know, there's a huge political and so like social political implication to this, you know, the cult of modernism. I guess because yeah. because it really um, tells you that if you can afford to kind of pare things down if you have the education to know right you know then then you've evolved into this kind of like um ascetic life or something and and I think that works for a lot of people but I'm sort of in the middle like I think when I and I think that obviously that's a result of my experience of like living in two worlds but um I still feel when I break down my work um, in its most like elemental, you know, the, in its smallest forms, all of like almost all of the decisions are based in a study of the materiality mm-hmm. and what it can do and its limitations and how I can kind of, um, you know, um, take as much advantage um, of its um, of their like most essential properties of a certain material or whatever and uh, capitalize on them as much as I can. Yeah. But, um, but my, my work is certainly not, you wouldn't describe it as pared down at all. Like it's, I think very full and and whatever energy, I don't know how to describe it. You can describe it better than me probably, but you know, it doesn't, it doesn't read minimalist, but, um, I grew up with that, um, with a deep, you know, study and awareness and appreciation, but um, yeah. I, I just, I, I maybe go too far with it. <laughs> no, I, I don't think, that. and it seems so uh, related to your kind of a relationship with your world, the world, or whatever it is. I think with modernism, or when things get minimal or pared down like that, it's just when it gets insular. Yeah. So it's like it's becoming self-referential, which happens in any yeah. sort of. Um, historical progression of something whether it's architecture or music or you know it's like right. eventually you try to pare things down and make it about the medium yeah. itself yeah. and that's just like a natural yeah. thing and it is a luxury and it is it, it isolates certain people from it because who it don't be- know because it becomes self-referential right. so it's important to the medium of things to sometimes pare it down and talk about it from like the bare bones but that it becomes problematic when you try to put that framework upon all people's work from all different yeah. cultures yeah. and all different walks of life because it it isolates a lot of people out of that you know yeah. because they're bringing in their way of seeing that may be informed by something else besides the mm-hmm. you know the linear history of art from 1940 to 1970 in the you know west I mean? yeah no it's so a it's, good point it, it is just, it happens it. you know it's yeah. it's you know it's the whole thing of like you know why people get frustrated because like middle america they 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 want to see the things that have labor in it and that are good because that's what they relate to. They don't yeah. relate to a you know Robert Ryman painting because they don't have that education of knowing, yeah. oh, this is what it came down to. 
you know, and, and it's like... I mean, I think I think it's hard. It's true. You're right. I think that generally people... I'm sorry, I'm interrupting, but yeah. I, I think, like, also I, I've found these surprise moments where, like, these very minimal experiences um, do resonate with... You know, it just depends on the person. Yeah. But I think um, when you're just, like, getting getting right into art, it's a little harder to, like, maybe appreciate, like you said, like a Robert Ryman. Right. But I, I think, like... I've been surprised at, I think actually Agnes Martin is tough for some people. Mm-hmm. I love Agnes Martin profoundly, but I think that like some people might, you know, I don't know, like the average American, right. I don't know, maybe would they? Well, okay, for example, I love Cy Twombly, mm-hmm. um, always have, probably always will, almost never disappoints when I stand in front of one, I yeah. feel something, almost never. Um, and yeah, like my mom would be, I don't know what my mom thinks, but like, you know, I think a lot of people are like, that's gibberish. I could do that. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah. Right. Right. But, um, I think he's a tough one too. Yeah. Um, you have to be open and you have to understand the context. Yeah. You know, it's like that happens. It's a little expertise in everything. You have to kind of like know your history and, you know, like anything. If you, you know. If you play punk to someone who knows nothing about music, they might be like, what? Yeah, yeah. You know, but then if you're, you know... On yeah, you're not going to hear it the same way. If you're on the Lower East Side in, like, you know, 82, you kind of get it. But like, I'm curious, know, like, can we think of, like, you know, these high modernist artists that would... that would appeal to the average non-art-educated... Middle American, because I know they're there. I know that I don't want to like undersell. No, I mean, there's some people who think Pollock is impressive. They stand in front of one of those, and even if they think, "Well, I could do that," they they still think there's something kind of there's an impact there. Like look at color field painters like Frankenthaler. Some people might think it's just wash or whatever, and other people think it's like poetry. You know, and um, like a Morris Lewis painting is. I don't think I want I don't know if they yeah but I'm still searching like I don't I wouldn't bet on a Morris Lewis being like the one that gets to like middle America well they did use scale to sort of impress I mean like like a Clifford Still painting is the size of a football field sure right like you're not gonna say I could do that you might say that's that's a big that's true like you know scribble but I mean it's impressive in its scale right they use that, I think. That's true. To give you that sort of bodily relationship to that, right? You know, image. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to. It's hard for us because we understand. James Terrell. Oh, Terrell. Yeah, you could have that. It's got the 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 gift of technology there to sort of sell people yeah. on it in a way. You right. Know? It's like um, the the mattress factory in Pittsburgh. They have that yeah. James Terrell room. Yeah. We used to dive into the hole because it looks like it's a blue <laughs> rectangle, you know, that's on the wall and then. Right from a distance and we used to run with someone we'd bring someone who never been there and like run and jump into the hole and it looks amazing because you disappear <laughs> yeah. into the void yeah but then they put alarm in there sooner or later but it was because pretty, of your fault but yeah right but everyone who saw that piece was like but why Whoa. why why his work is it because it's it really heightens the experience like very very there's a phenomenology to it yeah. it's it's not like a piece that is there yeah there's a sort of uh ephemera yeah 
you know, like it's, it's, it's got more this, wow. Yeah, you know, like, it's got the wow factor. How did it do that? It's, it's kind like a of laser like, show when you're in high school. Right. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you may, may or may not like Pink Floyd, but once you put those lasers on the ceiling, it's, it's like, impressive. Whoa, this yeah. Is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because that's actually the tone of that is pretty, um, you know, it's not unlike some of the, you know, Gothic cathedrals in yeah. some ways. Like it's got a kind of um, a show. A show. Yeah. I've been thinking your sculptures might be a little better with some lasers. <laughs> it just needs... That would be so against my my little rules in my mind. Like I'd be like, that's too far. The smoke machine with lasers. I used to use smoke machines when I was an undergrad. Actually, yeah, I is tried her it. name Kristen Oppenheim, Oppenheim? Right? Sarah. Some, Wait. No, no, not Sarah Oppenheimer. Chris. Kristen Oppenheim, I think, is her name. She did the three hundred three. She had that show with like. It sounded like black metal music, and it was just like lights, and <laughs> it was very much like that, cool. but in a yeah. in a convincing way. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with all. I'm okay with really everything. I I there's almost nothing I am not okay with as I mean, a material. Art is kind of smoke and mirrors in a way, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the title of one of my pieces. Yeah. Oh I really? Mean, yeah. It's also the name of a great Thomas the Tank Engine episode. <laughs> smoke really? and mirrors. Yes. Wow, that's it's a, that's... the little things that you remember yeah. as a parent. Okay, I'll look forward to that. <laughs> Yeah, it's all smoke and mirrors. I don't know. What's real, though? That's what you said earlier? No, I think that's the thing. That's the thing. If you can get to that space where you don't know, yeah, that's the best place yeah. to be. Yeah. Because that's really life. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just the moment right before you die. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... You're not waiting your whole life to experience that. The shitty handoff that everyone's going to get at a certain point where yeah. we're like, oh my God. Is there heaven? Oh, there is, might be heaven. Is this it? And then that's it. <laughs> Right? Yeah. So yeah. you to try to have that moment before it turns into that right, right. totally frightening moment. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I'm totally into like illusion and and um and sleight of hand and I you know, there there's a way to do it where it's I think really cheesy and there's a way to do it where it's really interesting and um I don't know, whatever. I don't know I, I but I find it fascinating. I think it's fascinating to like um you know, to to be confronted with that in in art like that, something is very real and very tangible, and also like kind of a smoke and mirror, like kind of an effect or like an illusion or some you know where you don't really know. It, it, it's interesting because I I think that um, I love magic and I love illusion, and I think a lot of art is like illusionistic yeah a lot of like old renaissance paintings are play with illusion and perception and um and i i like totally i'm obsessed with i love it i think it's it's fascinating because it puts into question what you trust and what whatever but i'm also like um i also have these weird limitations in my work that i haven't pushed yet like i I'm reluctant to use transparent materials. Mm-hmm. It's like I always use opaque materials, but my work is, you can always see through it, but I don't, I haven't yet used like, I did once, but didn't Clear. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like there's some, something that I can't quite, but I love, I mean, I love work that does. It's not like a rule I apply to everyone. It's just in my in my like vocabulary it's been it's been hard for me to reconcile it with what I do 
um, maybe something else would have to give for me be, to be able to like introduce that. But um, I love those roles that we put so on, weird. like unconscious roles we put on ourselves. Yeah, I totally noticed it yeah. like not that long ago because I am so seduced by it. But I think that um, I can't do that. I just can't. Yeah, 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 I don't know why. Like I, I think with the kind of work that I do, it wouldn't it would be like one step too far or something. Or I don't know. I just couldn't. I don't know how I would, I would have to treat it differently. I don't know. It's so, it's so hard for me to, to think about using like transparent materials like, like, or clear, I don't know. That's why I think, that's why I think the fog machine is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. Actually the fog, fog machine wouldn't be, I don't think it would be out, like out of play. I think I could find a way to make that. I don't know. Maybe not. I just really like, like all my materials are like concrete, like, yeah rigid they start off liquid but they're all it's interesting rigid because that the transparency you know in a lot of cultures too is like this it's when you are like a spirit like or when you leave oh, the body like this yeah, sort of right. like yeah. transparency of moving past the body or past the containing form there's too there's like too many variables there though it's like yeah. i can't control it i right. can't control like well, that's why that's why that's probably why yeah, yeah. Because someone could walk in front of something and it would feel and look totally different. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm in, I'm excited to see this this new body of work that's coming. Mine? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Me too. I have no idea. Well, what do you have coming up? How do how do people see what you're working on and do what you? Um, I have a show in the fall with my gallery, and um, um, I have a show not this summer, but in 2018 in a public. Um, space in the city? Yeah. There we go. There we go. Nice. Space. Yeah. That's going to be great. Yeah. I'm excited. I haven't shown my work to um, the masses. <laughs> in, yeah, yeah. No, outdoors, yeah. Except for in, in Japan. In the public sphere. Yeah, well, that was... That was, yeah. But you kind of had to be, like, committed to going to, like, this particular temple. It's a destination. Not. It's a destination, yeah. yeah. But this is, like, you're kind of... Um, you don't sign up for it. Yeah, people will bump into it. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it'll hit them over the head. Or not. Maybe, maybe you don't want people bumping into your sculpture. Whoops. Never mind. Whatever. <laughs> as long as it moves then somehow. Yeah, right. Well, I think, I don't know. I feel like you're probably one of the, the most interesting artists in the world. Oh, my God. Come on. Seriously. You're my favorite. Thank you. I mean, I'm just... <laughs> But seriously, I think your work's amazing. That's so. incredible. Thank and you so much. Super thoughtful and awesome. That's also not possibly true, but thank you very much. to talk to you. Well, if you know, if, if you need a fog machine, I got a guy. Okay. If I need my ego stroked, I'll call you and be like, can you say that again? Can you? Uh, actually, I could just listen to this. Yeah, we can do an infinite loop on that. Okay. An MP3. <laughs> Let's MP3. wake up to it. You are one of the most important artists <laughs> I started meditating. <laughs> walk in the studio and it's just on TV. you are amazing it's awesome let's have my assistants listen to it yeah but no one makes work like you and it's really super good and interesting and really great so. hey, yo, thank you congratulations yo, thank you that. so much and thanks oh, for talking to me I love your work too by the way yeah eh. <laughs> thank no, you we should do we should do the reverse podcast where I interview you no. do you do that no I'm not that interesting it's you were you very interesting it's you guys that are interesting that's not true you make this all possible thank you Thanks for having me thank, over. Thank you for coming. Coming by. Shop again.
you can find images of the artist's work, studios, and exhibitions on the podcast website, soundandvisionpodcast.com. The introduction, narration, and music was provided by Michael Lovett of Nazca Lines. All other music was made by Lullatone, based out of Nagoya, Japan. Sound and Vision is produced, edited, recorded, and organized by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find more about my work at paintchanger.com. Thanks for listening.